Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. If you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. The words will be up there on the screen in back of me. First uh, Peter chapter 5. We are uh, finishing up our series today through the book of First Peter. Uh, this whole theme of living hope from suffering to glory, and we're finally reaching glory. Not literally, I wish, uh, but we are, uh, we're coming to the end where Peter speaks about this, this great hope that we have in Jesus as we cross the finish line, so to speak. Next week, we will begin a new series. I'm really excited about this for our outdoor service. Hope you can join us for that and invite a friend, a family member. Uh, we're going to look at this whole theme of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I know that many of you who have grown up in the church, when you, when you hear that phrase, you might think of something cute for kids. But I want to I kind of back up a little bit and just explain where we're going with this series. The fruit of the Spirit, these are, these are qualities, these are character qualities of Jesus Christ himself that become ours when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We, we have the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we've got to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives to become more and more like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but the goal that I have for this series is that personally, I want to become more loving I want to become more joyful and full of peace and kindness and patience and so on. And I want us corporately uh, to, to grow in Christ-like character together. It's not so much about what we're doing for Christ as it is about who we're becoming in Christ. That's what Jesus is most concerned about. So we're looking forward to that series. It takes time for us to grow in Christ-like character, just like it takes time for fruit to develop, and so it takes a lifetime, and so we're looking forward to next week. Well, the title of my message today is How to Get Home Safely, How to Get Home Safely, and throughout the letter of 1 Peter, Peter's been a guide for us as he has reminded us of who we are. We are aliens in this world, right? He, he has called us to live distinctively different in this world because we're not home yet, Right? We're, we're passing through. And so it's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable here. We're going to go through trials. We're going to trip up at times. We'll fall down and we'll fail. And yet Peter knows this from personal experience, and he wants to assure us that in the end, God's going to bring us home safely. And so what he wants to do here in this in this closing section of his letter, he's, he's going to give us some final instructions on our faith journey. You can think of them as life lessons he's learned along the way. And so with that in mind, uh, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to read verses 1 to 11. This is the word of God. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, 
as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so the question I'm asking as we get started here is, how do we get home safely to heaven? And Peter gives us three instructions. Here's the first one. Clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with humility. Look at verse 5, the second half. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, so why does Peter address humility now as he's making his way to the end of his letter? Why is this so significant for him? Well, he knows that we are all susceptible to pride. Even more so when we walk through times of suffering, we rely on ourselves. We're going to get through this. We can handle this. And Peter wants us to be humble with one another as we walk through trials together. It was true then, it's true today, and perhaps God is using this pandemic to shatter our pride and to learn humility under the mighty hand of God. And so what is humility? Let's just define that word. Uh, many folks have tried to explain humility, and some have said this, it's the one virtue that as soon as you think you have it, you probably don't, right? C.S. Lewis, I think, was the first to say that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And so we ought not to think that humility is having this self-pity that we're always thinking low about ourselves, but in reality, we're not really thinking about ourselves. We're so taken up by Jesus and others that we're freed from thinking so much about ourselves. John Dixon gives this definition of humility. He says, it's a willingness to hold power in the service of others. Whatever power and position or platform that God has given you, you're willing to use that in service to others. And no one exemplified that more than Jesus. He had the most power of anyone, and he lowered himself in humility to serve us, sinners. Now, Peter models this humility as well in verse 1. Look back there with me where he writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. So we know this about Peter. He's the leader of the disciples, right? He's called the rock. I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. 
He's, he's the leader, and he's, he's a man who's been called to be an apostle. He's seen the resurrected Christ. He's writing down the very words of God, but here he lowers himself and says, I'm just a fellow elder like you in the church. I've been called to shepherd the flock of God like you. And so he humbles himself in that way. In addition, notice he says, I've been a witness of the sufferings of Christ. It's true. He was a, an eyewitness to the events that led up to the cross. But I think another reason why he mentions that is he's wanting us to recall the story where he himself failed miserably. Sitting beside a charcoal fire, little girl comes up to him. Weren't you with that Jesus? Oh, no, I don't, I don't know. And another time, another time, he denies his Savior three times, falls on his face in sin. And so in humility, Peter's saying, I'm just a fellow elder. I've witnessed the sufferings of Jesus. I know how much I need the hope of a Savior in my own life. So Peter had learned and is learning this whole truth of humility. He's wanting to pass it on first to the pastors and the elders of the church. Look at verses two and three. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples, being examples to the flock. And so he addresses those who have this role of shepherding the flock of God. We're to be examples. I'm to be an example to you, to, to serve willingly, eagerly, not exalting myself, but lowering myself to serve you. And I'm, I'm still in process, which I think is reassuring here because Peter himself points us to the chief shepherd that's going to appear in verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so as others have said before me, all pastors are really interim pastors here on this earth. We're just preparing you for your eternal pastor, Jesus Christ. So Peter turns the corner now from the leadership of the church. In verse five, he writes, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders and clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Every one of us, clothe ourselves. We need to be clothed in humility. In Colossians 3, Verse 12, Paul writes something similar. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So humility is, is the, the clothing that we wear. We're to put that on. Which means that we, we already have this in Jesus. And yet we need to daily remind ourselves of what we have in him. Why the metaphor of clothing, though? Why is, why is Peter addressing that, using that kind of analogy? We don't know this for sure, but we, we can speculate that in the church in those days, that clothing kind of represented the class you were in. So oftentimes the master and the servant wore different clothing. The rich and poor had different clothing that they would typically wear. But here Peter's just trying to say, hey, all of you, you wear the same clothing. You're all to lower yourselves in humility with one another. You're to be unified in that. 
You know, sometimes we wear the same uniform to show our unity, right? So teams, you know, they have uh, the, the same jerseys that they wear, right? And we, we focus not so much on the name on the back, but uh, the, the, the team name on the front. Uh, that's what unites us and reminds us that we're all in this together. We all play a different part in this team. Next Sunday, we're going to wear our Oak Hill t-shirts. If you don't have one, uh, there are a few out there. Grab one so you can join us in that. But listen, um, we're not united by what we wear externally, right? We're united by what we wear internally. We are all to wear humility as Christians. That should be the defining, unifying clothing that we wear as Christians. Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Now, how do we do that? Let's first don't assume that we're all in Christ, because you can't be a humble person without Christ living within you. We can feign humility real easily and underneath have a really prideful heart that wants to be noticed by other people. Our false humility can be pretty ugly at times. You need Jesus in order to have the character of Jesus living within you. So it begins by admitting your sin, believing in Jesus Christ, confessing him to be the Lord of your life. He then has this clothing, this robe of righteousness that he gives you, and that is this humility as well. So practically, it begins by just giving your life to Jesus. Then how does that work itself out then? How do we uh, daily practice humility? Here are just a few ways we can, we can do that. Number one, listen. Listen to others. By the way, this list really convicts me as I've written this down because I know how far I have to go. Um, listen to others. There is a reason why you have two ears and one mouth. Uh, we forget that often. Um, so, so often is the case that we are waiting for the person to end what they have to say with a but. If you find yourself saying but a lot, maybe, you need to grow in humility. <laughs> Secondly, be teachable. Be teachable. And if ever there's a time right now in our culture to be teachable, uh, so many people think that they are right. You look at social media, we have a lot of people that think, think that they're right. A lot of people that seem to have this authoritative voice that I know what's going on and I need to tell you what to believe and what to think. We need to have humility to recognize, hey, I don't know everything. I need others to teach me. I need to learn, especially when it comes to the scriptures, right? We, uh, we look at the word of God and it's, it's a treasure of wisdom. We're just tapping into just the wealth that God's gonna show us even in the ages to come. So be teachable. Thirdly, don't blame others when you sin. Don't try to shift the blame onto other people, but own it. You grow in humility as you own your, up to your sin. I did that. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That was my fault. And when someone wants to correct you or to give you advice or criticism, receive that. Receive that. Don't always take the position of the teacher. This is hard for us who have the gift of teaching, by the way. We want to always be the people that are teaching others. We need to be taught. We need to be teachable and accept criticism and correction. And then one more, 
ask for prayer. Don't be afraid to ask for prayer. Um, I've had conversations with people over the years in pastoral ministry who have said things like, well, I never pray for myself. I'm always praying for others. And I look at them and say, you're really prideful. And they're shocked by that statement. Paul himself, as a pastor and apostle, was asking his people to pray for them. Humility grows in our hearts when we're willing to say, I need prayer about this. I can't do it on my own. Do you have at least a few people in your life where you can be vulnerable with, where you can share your weaknesses and your temptations, where you're actually asking them to pray for you? You grow in humility as you're, as you're willing to ask others to pray. Those are just a few ways we can grow. There are many more. So why? Why should we be clothing ourselves with humility? Well, Peter gives us one reason here in verse 5 again. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another for... So here's the reason. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So a lack of humility exposes us to the opposition of God. He's he's against those who think they can do it on their own, who think they can rely upon themselves. But he gives grace to those who recognize, I can't do it on my own. I depend upon you. And he wants to just pour out that grace to shower it upon us when we feel our neediness. Humility invites us into the waterfall of God's grace. Peter gives one more reason why we ought to humble ourselves. Look at verse six. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So what he means by that is, as we're going through life, and for Peter's readers, they were suffering. They were going through times of persecution and trials. And this mighty hand of God meant that he was bringing even affliction and suffering into their lives. And he was sovereign over all of it. And they were to humble themselves, to be lowered by this, to, to learn from this, and to recognize that one day, there's a day coming, that you will be lifted up in glory. You're going to reign with Jesus forever and ever. But, but now is the time to, to lower yourself in service and humility to others. Just one parenthesis before we get to the second lesson here that Peter wants to teach us. Part of being humbled under the mighty hand of God is receiving the afflictions that he gives to us in our lives in reliance upon him and being willing to ask ourselves the question, even as we've walked through these last few months, will we be humbled by this pandemic? Will America be humbled by this pandemic? Will this church, our church, be humbled by what we've gone through? Will you, will I be humbled by what God has given to us in his providence? So that's the first lesson. Clothe yourself with humility. Secondly, he says this. Cast all your anxiety. Cast all your anxiety. Look at verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So Peter knows that in this journey uh, from suffering to glory, there will be anxiety. We will face 
worry. And it's even more pronounced when we go through tough times, right? We feel weighted down by the worries of this world. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Anxiety has a way of weighing us down. As we make our journey toward home, it can often feel like we're carrying a lot of anxiety, a lot of worries, a lot of concerns, especially during a time like this. Do you feel the weight? Do you feel the the worries and concerns piling up on your back as a burden in your life? Some of you worried about your job, maybe your finances, some of you worried about your health, the health of loved ones. Some of you worried about your, your family and your aging parents. Some of you worried about your children's education. Some of you are just worried about future. It's just so uncertain right now. And some of you young people continue to be worried about what other people think. What are you worried about today? What's, what's a burden? What's a weight on your shoulders? Well, here's what Peter tells us to do with that. Verse six and seven again, look there with me. Humble yourselves. That's the main verb, humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. How do you humble yourself? Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So I want you to see this because oftentimes verse seven is just one that stands alone. We we love to quote that. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And we forget verse six is the way that that happens in our hearts. We've got to be humble and being willing to admit, I can't carry all this. I've got to recognize my dependence upon you, Jesus. And as I do that, I can't do it. I cast all of that upon him. That's what humility looks like. It tells me that there's a relationship then between anxiety and pride. So if you struggle with worry in this room, know that you also struggle with pride. Now, I want to be careful because I'm not trying to say, I I know that this can be medically an issue for some of you. I'm not talking about that kind of anxiety. I'm not talking about that kind of worry that arrests us even physically and emotionally and is something that's so difficult for us to even understand. I'm talking about the concerns of this world, the worries that we carry with us and end up taking our eyes off Jesus. Those kind of worries, the weight of those worries, if we think we can control them, what we'll end up doing is pushing God out and having these worries come in. And they get a lot bigger and bigger as God gets really, really small. And so it begins with humility recognizing, God, I need you. Um, Jesus, I need to give that to you. And so here's the, the good word that makes us glad, like it says in Proverbs. Why should we cast our cares upon him? Why do we cast our anxieties upon him? Look at verse seven again. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He really does. He cares for you. He loves you. This, this is the good word that we need. I just imagine him here saying to some of you, give that to me. I mean, you've, you've had that on your shoulders so long, it's weighing your heart down. Just 
throw it on to me. I've got bigger shoulders. I can carry that for you. Give that all to me. Put it all in my hands. I've got this. And I've got you. You see, some of us, the reason why we're so worried and, and so much stewing over everything in life is because we're still in control of our lives. It might be today that it's not casting all your cares upon him, it's casting your entire life upon Jesus and surrendering fully to him and saying, I can't do it anymore. Man, I'm exhausted, God. I've tried to live this life on my own. And I'm just more and more frustrated, more and more exhausted, more and more weighted down. Please, receive me. Forgive me for my sin. I want to give my life fully to you. And Jesus is ready to do that. He's ready to give you a whole new life and to free you from all the weight that you're carrying. So, Peter has some lessons for us as we make our journey toward glory. Clothe yourself with humility. Secondly, he tells us to cast all our anxiety. And then thirdly, and finally, resist your enemy. Resist your enemy. Look at verses eight and nine with me. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So, so Peter knows this from personal experience that Satan is going to do whatever he can to bring you down, to distract you, to deceive you, ultimately to devour you and destroy you. That's his mission. That's his aim. He wants to do as much damage as he can before we get to glory. So we've got to be ready for him. We've got to know how to resist him. He's pictured here as a roaring lion trying to hunt you down. Sometimes we think of Satan as a sneaky snake who tries to like trick us and he's pretty subtle. A roaring lion is not very subtle, but is really powerful. And people in Peter's day may have been thinking through all this suffering and persecution, I don't know if I can stand up to an enemy like that. So how do we resist him? Here's what Peter says, two things mainly. Look at verse 8 again. He says, be sober-minded. That's where it starts, be sober-minded. What does that mean? Well, sometimes it's good for us to look at what the opposite of sober-minded is. And that, that really is, is being spiritually dull. You could say spiritually drunk or even spiritually dead. Being sober-minded then is being attentive, being alert, spiritually alert, and serious. You're, you're aware of, of the distractions. You're aware of, of Satan's ways. You're sober-minded. He also says we must be watchful, be watchful. And so the opposite of that is what? Asleep. Sorry if I'm waking somebody up right now. <laughs> are you spiritually asleep? Or are you watchful? There is an enemy that's going after you. You've got to know this. He's roaring, and he wants to devour you and to destroy you. I think of Peter's own story. Um, you might remember back to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
So Jesus is there in this, in this moment where he's, he's in a lot of turmoil inside. And he's needing his three closest friends. Come over here and pray with me, Peter, James, John. They go over there, they're praying with him. And he, he continues to say, watch and pray that you would not fall into temptation. A minute later, they're fast asleep. And that's a picture of us as followers of Jesus. We can sometimes be spiritually asleep, dull to the things of God. That's a dangerous place to be in. We fall into temptation when we are spiritually <coughs> sleeping. And so Peter says, resist him by being firm in your faith. What does it mean to be firm in our faith? I think it helps for us to go back into 1 Peter. So if you've got your Bible, there are two examples of how he tells us to be firm. How are we to be sober-minded? Uh, back in chapter 1, verse 13, he said this, therefore, preparing your minds. He puts a lot of focus on our minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying there is this, what's your mind filled with? Be honest, like what consumes your mind? And we've got a lot in our culture right now that we can consume our minds with, right? But is your mind consumed with the hope that's coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ? I guarantee if your mind continues to be fixed on the hope you have in Jesus, you won't be easily persuaded by this enemy that presents to you a lie, a temptation, because your heart's so satisfied in who Jesus is for you I don't need that. My heart's already full. One more time, he uses this word sober-minded. In chapter 4, verse 7, he says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things is at hand. Do you really want to spend these last days doing things that are going to hurt you and bring you down? We need to be sober-minded and be praying, knowing that God is there to help us and to give us a way out when we face times of temptation. And so, Peter's encouraging us, resist him, resist your enemy, resist him. So here's a personal question. What does that look like? What does resisting Satan look like practically in your life right now? Why don't you just be honest with, with yourself? Where are you most vulnerable for an attack by the enemy? in your life today? Are you resisting him, firm in your faith? And so Peter, he's given us here three final instructions on our faith journey as we make our way home. Number one, clothe yourself in humility. Number two, cast all your anxiety. Number three, resist your enemy. Now, how are we gonna make it home? What if you've fallen on your face in pride? What if you're weighted down by the worries of this world? What if you've been wounded by your enemy? How are you going to make it home safely? Well, here's the good news and how I want to close. Here's the reassurance that we need. You ready for this? God will give you the grace necessary to make your way home safely. Look at verses 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while. Don't you love that? That's our lives. 
this is going to be a little while, just a vapor. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, Peter knew something about that, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, this is not you, not your effort, will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion, to him be the power forever and ever, amen. So, so listen, I love how this ends, right? This is the end of Peter's letter. The God of all grace, he's going to bring you home safely if you are in Christ today. He's going to do it. He himself will bring you home safely. He himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You know what that is? That's a fourfold assurance of his commitment to finish what he started in you. Peter, of all people, knew this, right? Peter was a prideful man. Man, he was so sure of himself when he met Jesus. And when the enemy came prowling, he started denying his Savior. He failed. Let's just say it. He failed. He fell on his face as a failure, but Christ never canceled him out. I called you, Peter. I've called you by name. And I will restore you, Peter. Yes, you will suffer for a little while, but very soon, you're going to be with me in eternal glory. And so, I hope this brings you great joy and assurance this morning. Take a lesson from the Apostle Peter and keep clothing yourself with humility. Keep casting all your anxiety and keep resisting your enemy. And the God of all grace will bring you home safely and he'll do so for his glory. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, it humbles us to think that you called us in the first place to yourself. We were all running away from you like sheep who've gone astray. Each of us, we turned to our own way, yet you came after us. As our chief shepherd, you loved us. And as our shepherd, you also were the lamb who was slain for us. You bled on our behalf, rose again triumphantly from the grave, and you're the king, the king of all kings and lord of all lords. All dominion and power are yours forever and ever. And God, though this world with devils filled, as Martin Luther once said, will threaten to undo us, we know that you are with us. And one little word shall fell this enemy. The gospel word. That Christ has been crucified in our behalf, is risen again victoriously from the grave, and is alive. And so, Lord, as we make our way home, I pray that you would sustain us by your grace. Give us this living hope from suffering to glory, knowing that you will do it. You yourself will bring us home safely and you'll never let go. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen.